Welcome to Let's Talk About It, where we discuss all things books and interesting matters. We're your hosts, Nima and Ronnie, and today on this episode, we'll have two special guests. My name is Abdushakur, and I'm guest number one. Today, we have guests from NAMI visiting Armstrong High School. NAMI stands for National Alliance of Mental Illness. I'll let my guests introduce their names and roles. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Beth Lovery. I am the family educator um, at NAMI, Minnesota. Uh, can you tell our audience why you're visiting Armstrong High School today? Oh, great question. Today, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so we're doing a shoe booth downstairs in the cafeteria where kids who can write encouraging messages to other kids who have mental illness to let them know they're not alone. So we got that on display, and it's going to be displayed up for We have it on a piece of paper, and you're going to find it um, somewhere in the school. Uh, so can you tell us how it works like? Organization. Oh, NAMI Minnesota, you want yeah. me to tell you a little bit about NAMI? Yeah. Um, so so no, NAMI is one of the largest grassroots um, organizations in the United States. Mm-hmm. We are a nonprofit. Um, we do uh, various services. We, as educators, can come into schools and talk to other educators about mental health. Um, we do parent classes for parents learning about like the special education system, about early warning signs of mental illness. Uh, we do stuff like that. Um, NAMI also does, um, we do a legislature at the, at the Capitol. Sue Aberholden, our executive director, mm-hmm. um, is our lobbyist, and she goes in and she lobbies to get more money and more services for families and people with mental illness. Mm-hmm. So those are some big things we do there. Um, otherwise, we have resources on our website, uh, NAMIMinnesota.org, or we also offer support groups um, for families with mental illness. What are some ways your organization advocates for young people's mental health? Yes, awesome. Yeah. So what, what's cool about NAMI is, um, I've only been with NAMI three months, mm-hmm. and I'm getting to learn all the exciting things, and um, we get to go down, we, we have Day on the Hill, it's called Day on the Hill, we got to go down and we talk to our legislators, we tell them our story, and why we need certain laws passed for, um, you know, more money, and more services, more allotment for mental illness. Um, so that's, we do that. We also go into high schools with a program called, a national program called Ending the Silence. And so we, last year we uh, presented that to over 7,000 kids in Minnesota. And we're hoping to do it again next year. Um, what that does is we talk a little bit about stigma, we talk about the warning signs, um, we tell how we can help a friend. So we get that talk about mental illness um, started. And we want to start it young so that everybody has that conversation. So my question is, what are some things you would tell a teenager who's struggling with their self-identity? Oh yes, I loved this question. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know what, I'm a quote person, so I have a big, um, I wrote some of these down. So this is how I said, I said, enjoy the journey. It's not a destination. It'll be okay. Change is uncomfortable. There are no rules to this thing. Great things never come from comfort zones. There's no time limit. Start whenever you want. Meet new people. Stay the same. Try new things. It's never too late. It's an ever-evolving journey. I like to um, often joke that at 42 years age, I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, I wanted to, to be this mental health advocate. I went to school, I have a paralegal degree. I ended up about 18 months uh, actually working as a paralegal and I've never gone back. And I don't plan on going back at this time. Um, so that, that identity is gonna be always changing, constantly. And just when you think you're gonna figure it out, it's gonna change again. And that's, that's a good thing. It's totally good. So being in your teens, you guys gotta get out there and experience it, go off to college, find some jobs, move to a different city, experience life and you're going to find yourself. Those are some really nice quotes. Yeah. I, oh, my gosh, I love quotes. I have two huge um, bulletin boards on top uh, in my office right next to me. So as I find a quote, I put it up there. Um, and then I also um, notes as I go through my therapy sessions, my uh, guy gives me quotes and some things to tell myself, and I put those right on those cork boards right next to me. Wow. That was really inspiring, but I feel like some teens just 
refuse to deal with mental health, so what would your tips be with those who do? Yeah, it is frustrating. Um, we each have our own mental health journey, and we take that journey when we're ready. Um, so if you have a friend or a family member that you can see those signs in them, and they're not ready to talk about it or to take action on that, you just got to be there and say, I'm here for you when you're ready. Let's, let's move forward with that. Um, tell them that there's help available, that they're not alone. Uh, if, it, if it's a friend, um, say, hey, let's find a trusted adult together. It doesn't have to be a therapist or a counselor. Just find a trusted adult and talk it out with somebody and get that, that rolling. Um, if you know that they're struggling, just make sure you too, um, make sure that you um, include them in your plans. Check in on them often. Bring them a coffee or just, just say hi and smile. What are some ways teenagers can express their emotions? Oh, yes, I love it. So, your guys' school is amazing. Mm-hmm. You see lots of artwork all over the place. Yeah. Um, this podcast is like a thing of art. This right here, this is a great way to get it out. I love talking about my emotions and my feelings so that other people feel comfortable about that. So, art. Art is an awesome thing. Um, you can take your art and match colors up with your feelings and make a masterpiece. And then that's what, you can put that right on paper. Um, I used to, in high school, I did a lot of poems. A lot of poems to put that down onto my paper or short stories. Um, those are some great ones. Um, just to, so positive coping skills even too for that could be trying to think like yoga or weightlifting. Oh my gosh, my favorite is I have like a, a list of songs when I'm angry or I'm nervous. I, I crank that radio up and I'm jamming. Like if you're parking, if you're driving next to me, you'd be like, woo. <laughs> that's my moment. That's me. That's getting it out. I'm getting that nervousness out. I got to get that energy out of my body. And so those are all good ways to get that out. Express yourself. Find a song. Find a quote. Um, it's it, it's really endless. Uh, before you said talk to a trusted adult, yep. what would you advise those that don't have that? You don't have a trusted, like a trusted adult. adult. Oh. Like, yeah. So what is awesome is that we have, um, in July of 2022, this national number came out. So we had 911, right, for medical emergencies. Mm-hmm. Now we have 988. That's for any kind of mental health crisis or if you're feeling distressed or anything like that. You can text them, you can call them, um, and then you can talk to them. So they're gonna just, they're licensed professionals on the other line. They can help you walk through your problem, um, help you seek a solution, or they can just sit there and talk to you. Um, and it's an amazing resource. So anybody can do that from any phone. It's private, it's confidential, um, and they're, they're here to help. They help thousands of people a day walk through crisis, and it's amazing. I know, like, compared to people of color, um, how their uh, their health is dealt with, like, in the medical field, for example, is different from uh, people who are white. How would you say um, the mental health of uh, people of color are unique in that sense? So you don't get to see a lot of people like you. Like, that's the thing. I'm a, a white woman. I see all, all my therapists have been white. Um, and that's where it's, it's amazing out there. We have lots of different sites, especially NAMI, at NAMI. You, we have a whole site um, that you can get linked into that says, it's literally finding somebody like you so that you understand. Um, because if you're not clicking with that person, they don't understand you, your culture, um, your, any of your orientation, you're not gonna get anywhere. So, so basically they pair you up with people like that. Yeah, and you can, you can search on there. You can search on there what you're looking for. You know, maybe um, you want a male or if you want a female. Or, yeah, it, different ethnicity. You want somebody who speaks a certain language. It's all there. Um, and those resources are coming out, which is amazing because we really need that. Um, so I'm excited to see that coming forward. Yeah, that sounds cool. I feel like in some communities, mental health is neglected. Yes. So I like that there's an option. There is options. And that's the thing is um, navigating mental health is hard because we don't talk about it. And so finding those resources, you know, uh, reaching out to people. NAMIMinnesota.org is a great place to start checking in with counselors. Um, they're going to have those resources. All right, the next question is, how might a parent with PTSD affect a child's mental health? 
I love this question. This one's a hard one, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a hard one because I kind of, to break it down a little bit, um, I had to think about it. So when we talk about, we talk about generational trauma, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it, we're, we're working on that generational trauma and stopping it. Because, yes, people who have a mental illness think, act um, differently. And so when that's happening and then we have a child in the home, um, that child doesn't know how to process that. And there may be effective. And again, too, if that person's actually taking steps towards mental health recovery or not can be a big difference. So if it is going to affect that child, it's going to affect that child, um, but also kids are resilient. They're resilient, there's resources out there. We have the school linked professionals in there. Um, if a parent is getting help for their PTSD, their trauma, then um, they're gonna be incorporating their kids into that a little bit. And they're gonna make sure that their kids maybe have a therapist or something, or maybe not. Um, and that's something that we need to do better as a society to, to look at those kids and be like, hey, I think they're struggling right now, let's help them out. Just a follow-up question from that. How do you how do you think like generational trauma, as you said, like the parents affect their childs, but how do you think like how about they refuse to like get any help or they just don't see that they have trauma? Right. That's a hard one I know, yeah. right? Um, I've actually so I've had other kids tell me that. Like, hey, my parents do not acknowledge the trauma that's going on and that's affecting me. Um, you just gotta educate yourself and you have to break that that generational cycle and know that it's there. Um, it's it's kind of a it's hard because it's, you have to give grace because our parents, as they were raising us, didn't know themselves or were learning to, to, to raise us um, as they were growing up. And so we gotta give them a little grace. Like they had things that happened to them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just have to, you know, a little 1% better every day. It's kind of what we look at 1% better every day um, and just changing some of those attitudes or those things and whatever we can um, have control of. What about like those parents that like take their mental health like on their childhood? You know, like for example, let's say they're going through major depression and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they don't get help, but they take it on, like when they're angry on their child, and how would that affect that child's mental health? Um, depending. As growing up. Yeah, depending. So a lot of things that might end up for trauma for them. Mm-hmm. That might be a traumatic experience for kids. Uh, one thing we find with trauma is that if um, some, if that child might have a loving, caring adult in their life, otherwise that can help them through that. That might not affect the child. Um, if they don't, it could continue then. That that continued trauma could continue to happen. Um, but we're learning to do better. We're starting to have those conversations. Um, yeah. Okay, our last question is, how might women and men's health, um, mental health differ from each other? Yes, this is an awesome one. Um, I had to find an example because it was, again, there's so many different factors that come down to like who gets mental health and who doesn't get mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't say mental health, mental illness. Um, and so we, what I did is I looked at depression. So depression might look different in men versus women. Men, you're going to be more irritated. Um, they may be angry and those type of things. And women are going to, they're going to say, hey, I'm sad. This is sadness. I'm going to show that. So they're going to show it differently. Um, and then it comes out differently. Mm-hmm. So men might say, hey, I got this stomachache and this headache. I'm going to go to a doctor for that. But I'm not going to go tell him about everything else that's going on with me. Where women might go to do that. Um, and unfortunately, this is just long-standing stereotypes of each of our gender roles. We're changing it. Um, I asked my son last night, my 10-year-old, he's, um, he's super amazing, he's gonna be a therapist when he grows up. Um, he's amazing. Uh, I said, hey, why do you think men don't get help? He goes, well, we've been told not to ask for help. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're the smartest kid ever. Might be my bias, but um, I was like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, and he's, um, I said, but do you believe that? He says, no, he goes, everybody needs help. And so we do, and we need to have those conversations that everybody needs to help. We don't need to be strong. 
We don't need to be silent. We need to have those conversations. We need to get help. The earlier, the better. Smart kid. Mm -hmm, yes. <laughs> uh, did you have a last question, but I want to ask more questions as well. Yeah, I'm in. Working for NAMI, like you said, you're new, you know, mm -hmm. like three months. Yep. How does that feel? I love it. I finally, when I graduated from college, my goal was to work for a nonprofit, and I haven't had that opportunity. And I applied to NAMI thinking, oh, mental health, mm -hmm. all that. And then in my interview, they're like, yeah, what do you think about working for a nonprofit? I'm like, oh, you guys are a nonprofit? Like, totally missed it. Um, but it's my dream. It's my dream to give back and to always to find my passion. And I get to use my lived experience in mental health challenges and my kids' mental health challenges to help roadmap somebody else's to make it a little bit easier. So when like patients or people need help and come to NAMI, what kind of emotion do you like to show them or how would you approach them? Um, you know, it's just empathy. Yeah. It's empathy and taking in, you know, we don't all experience the same thing. What's awesome about NAMI is that um, working for NAMI, you either have a mental illness or you care for somebody who has a mental illness. Wait, should I get so for working for NAMI, so NAMI Minnesota, all of us either have a mental illness or we support somebody who has a mental illness. So that's awesome. So we bring that to the table. Um, and it changes things. Like I quit my job four years ago because all of our mental health were bad. And we had to, like, I had to step back and pull it back and get us all on board. Um, I got to, this is my first full-time job going back after four years. And I was scared. And like, how am I going to walk in? What if something happens? And it's the most accepting community you've ever met. Um, if, if something were to happen and I needed time off, my boss was like, yeah, go for it. They, everybody understands. And you literally, you get to be you when you walk in that door. So I've had so many people tell me about their ADHD. Um, and it's great because, and then we can go to each other and you find your people. You find your people. It's awesome. So is it a community that accepts everyone? Yeah, it's amazing. When dealing with people who have mental illnesses, do you think that affects yours? Yes. Really? How Honestly. How so? Yeah, I know. That was one that I had to um, be ready for. Um, the first couple of months of working, um, you know, you're hearing other people's stories and you're telling your story. You're being very vulnerable to people. Um, and that was hard. I mean, I would, I would cry on the way home some days just to let it out. But then I'd be okay um, because I knew that this was my passion. This is what I want to do. It's just an adjustment. Um, it, it's so worth it. Um, but sometimes, yeah, we have triggers, right? Everybody has a trigger. And just knowing how to manage those triggers. I do a lot of self-care. I'm a proactive self-care person. A lot of walks, um, a lot of tea, those types of things. I know what I need to do when I have those days and to cut out time for myself to make sure that I clear it all out. Do you think schools should have like a mental health day like for each student say like has a limit of three where they can call in for a mental health day? Oh yes, I totally do. I totally do. So my, uh, my eldest yesterday called in and he was like, oh, I don't feel like I don't feel good. Yeah, he's out there driving the lawnmower, you know, cleaning stuff up, playing with the dogs. And I'm like, okay, and I tried to call it in today too. So he was kind of fun. So I get the boys, you know, one, one quarter or about is what I get my boys. Um, I get myself that. You know, there's some days that I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to get anything done. I'm going to take that day out. Maybe we got PTO for a reason. Kids should have that option. Let's take that mental health day. Um, it was pretty amazing. He had an amazing day yesterday. Focused on himself. Yeah. I like that. Do you have like a certain degree to work for NAMI? Um, they ask that you come with a degree, yeah. but not a certain one. So what they want you to come with is live experience. So what I bring to the table is my own uh, mental illness. And I'm very open about it when I, when I talk about and in the silence, I talk about my depression and my anxiety and my late life diagnosis of ADHD. Um, I also bring to the table my lived experience with my kids and navigating the mental health system. That's a big one, and that's why I'm working with families um, to help them navigate those systems. Both of my boys have ADHD and anxiety, and my oldest is on the autism spectrum. Um, I've talked to both of the boys too, and they're great with me sharing their stories because they've seen the work we've had to put in um, and the struggles we had, and they're like, yeah, go help somebody else.
so passionate is what he brings to the table, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, the, oh, there's a quote on my, um, there's a quote on my board. I, oh, oh, it says, my goal, to, to make money while making an impact. I like that's that. good. And that's, I finally got there, 42. So that's awesome. Well, now I'm 43. <laughs> so it does take time. It does take time. Um, and it, it's ever-changing. It's, I've, my, my diagnosis at age 40 of ADHD was game-changer. I couldn't understand why I was so different from everybody. Um, and I could look back and know that the last 20 years, I'm like, what's, why am I so different? And then I got the diagnosis, and then I found my people. And then I, was, I, I have medication that I take for that, game changer. It balances out my, my, my brain function so that I can function even better. Um, so game changer. And then that's when life really started happening for me, was when I got that under control, and life is pretty amazing. How does it feel being different from others? It was very isolating. Um, I had a lot of shame attached to that. Um, uh, it, it's been a, I mean, I've been on a journey for about 10 years to kind of figure everything out in my life. And that's why I brought this book with uh, Brene Brown, Atlas of the Heart. Mm -hmm. um, this is a game changer for me. This one, if you don't know your emotions, you can sit down and she explains them to, uh, explains them to you. And if you look in there, she's got beautiful art and quotes. And Brene Brown is a social worker um, who studies people. Mm -hmm. um, and she's amazing. She finds all these things. She studies vulnerability and what, how we have to be vulnerable to be able to have growth. So that's when I like to point her out um, because she's really changed my life. Um, she explained things to me, and um, now I understand my emotions, and I understand that I'm only in control of me. Okay, this is my last question. <laughs> uh, earlier, um, we were talking with Ms. Jeffrey, and we were talking about how like mental illness is like a hidden thing that it's not really shared out. Yes. Like, some people could be the happiest, they show, like, outside, they're so happy, but not really. Yeah. Like, how would you advise those people that when they're in public, they're the happiest people in the whole entire world, but when they're isolated or alone, they're it's yeah. different. We just, we never know, do we? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot. Um, that's a lot. I mean, that's, um, most people are like, oh, you have depression? Because I'm the bubbliest person in the room. Yeah. Like, you would never know that. And, and I'm like, yeah, I do. Because I'm at home talking these negative talks to myself. Like, did I say that wrong? Did that go bad? Did I say something wrong? You know, getting in my own head. Um, but you wouldn't know that. You do now because I'm sharing it with the world so that other people know they're not alone. This is my last question. Right. <laughs> How does having a parent that like refuses to deal with their mental health and makes it so their kids feel the need to suppress their emotions, like how do you think that affects them as they grow up and become their own person? Wow, that's a big one. Yeah, it is a big one. Um, I mean, you know, life, our experiences shape us. And so I think um, that's a hard one. That is, I think as, you get into adulthood, that's when you have to take responsibility for it. Like, okay, um, I no longer have control, they don't have any control over me or that, that relationship. So that's where you have to learn to be yourself. And you have to take those actions to get better mental health, to figure that all that out. Um, it's frustrating, I mean, but that's the world we live in with the stigma attached to it. People don't want people to know that they have mental health because we put that um, negatively. Yeah, taking action is easier said than done. It is. Yeah. It really is. And that's. I had some kid tell me one day. You're like. You're like. You make it sound so easy. easy. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not. Um, and I do. I do. I, and I. Again, maybe that's my mask I put on. Is that I do that. And there's bad days. You know. There's some days that I get out of bed. Um, I do the minimum of what I got to do, and then I lay back in bed for 12 hours. So I mean, there are those bad days. Um, but there's struggles. There's there's access to insurance. There's access to medical care like um, medical professionals, there's not enough of them. Um, the stigma behind everything is just huge. And that's why uh, we need to talk about it. We gotta end the silence. So like one day at a time. One day at a time. Take Sometimes, a 
one minute at a time. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've had to learn that it's okay that my kids have cereal, cereal for dinner a couple nights in a row. <laughs> and that was a hard one. That was a hard one to do. Like, you know, mom, mom's here, mom's doing her spoons. I had a girlfriend, one of my girlfriends tells me, you only have so many spoons. So you wake up and it's a great day and you got 40 spoons. So you're doing all the things by noon, your, your spoons could be gone. Yeah. Now what? Your kids have cereal. That's what happens. You know, or you make up on a bad day, you got two spoons. What, how are you gonna use those spoons? Like, I'm gonna get dressed and take my meds. Okay, boys, you got the rest of the house for a while. You know, we just, you, you gotta be okay with that. Um, there's, a, there's some shame in that. Um, but also too, there's acceptance. And I wanna put that out there that, hey, that's okay. It's totally okay. Well, that's all we'd like to thank you for coming to Armstrong High School to speak with us on the advocacy of mental health. Thank you. And special thanks to Abdishko for being my co-host today. And Thank you, Ani, for inviting me. That's it on this episode on Let's Talk About It.